but uh, we just decided they really had the spirit this morning because we honk our horns in the parking lot. So in here, we just have to either raise our hands or say amen. But what a joy it is to be gathered this morning. And as we gather this morning, I'm mindful that our uh, brothers and sisters uh, just over the hill next door, uh, the Baptists and the Methodists, are, are just gathering back in their uh, sanctuaries for the first time uh, since last March. And so I just pray that God will bless them as they come back together as he has blessed us now since last May and June when we uh, started coming in. But just uh, praise God that uh, God's people are gathering to worship him on Sunday and then throughout the week that we can worship him in all that we do uh, throughout uh, our lives and all the places where God uses us as his royal ambassadors to carry the good news. A couple of things to highlight for you. On the front of the steeple this morning, you'll see the announcements about Holy Week. It begins next Sunday, Palm Sunday, and uh, with our regular services. And that afternoon, of course, youth will be meeting. Our faith friends will be meeting next Sunday. And at 4 p.m., they're going to have their, their usual faith friends singing and fun and lesson. But then following that will be a time of celebration, Easter celebration. And we just hope and pray that you'll come and that you'll invite friends also. But here's the, here's the caveat you have to remember. We need to know by tomorrow, and I know I'm stretching it, Corey, but by tomorrow, uh, her deadline was today, but by tomorrow we need to have your reservation in. So whatever age you are, if you're going to join in in the Faith Friends Easter celebration, you need to raise your hand and make a reservation. We almost don't, we require that almost nowhere in our life together, but we do need to do that so that we can have everything arranged and the supplies purchased and arranged um, for that time. Uh, and then Monday, Thursday, that service, it will occur inside the sanctuary, but we will be broadcasting it and amplifying it out to the parking lot. So like Ash Wednesday, if you still need or know someone who needs to stay outside, you'll be able to join in that service. If you've never been to our Monday Thursday service, we read through Mark's uh, gospel account of the passion narrative of our Lord's passion. And we all take part in that. We have readers, but the whole congregation joins in at, at different points. And so beautiful singing of hymns and other special music. Uh, that night, Brian Clarkson will bring a beautiful piece. So great service that will uh, focus us in um, onto the events of Thursday, Friday, and that weekend leading up to the first Easter. We'll celebrate the Lord's Supper at that time. Then Easter Sunday, 7 a.m. up in the garden. We hope to have the new cross installed by then, but we'll be there no matter what. And uh, 7 a.m. brief sunrise service, and I'm so looking forward to that. It's one of my favorites. We missed it last year with the uh, pandemic, but we'll be up there, and we've got a crew that are going to prepare some simple biscuits and juice, just a simple breakfast to share afterwards uh, in a safe way. And then at 9 in the parking lot and 10 o'clock in here, Easter celebrations. So just uh, looking forward to Holy Week at the Lord <coughs> Presbyterian. Great uh, week. Uh, super moment. Bear in mind, we have been looking at the events of that first week, the week that we call Holy. We've been looking at those events uh, through <coughs> preaching all the way through Lent. Uh, 
uh, in the sermons that, that I brought and Brian brought, we, we've been walking us through that. So being prepared for that, it will mean all the more as we then walk through that week with that. Uh, yes. Oh. The people at home have not heard one word that I've said. <laughs> Welcome live streamers. We're so glad you're joining us this morning. So, uh, and you all probably hear me a whole lot better now or, or not. But anyway, let us now prepare for worship as we pray. Father God, we thank you. We give you all glory and praise. We ask now that as your Holy Spirit is present here, he walked in with us in our hearts that we would be softened to his ministry within us. That we would, as one, praise you in this hour. We love you, Father. We delight to bring you all glory and praise. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand with us. Praise God from whom all blessings flow.
our God, how great thou art, Almighty. Let us affirm what we believe using the words, the ancient words that are ever new to us of the Apostles' Creed. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and in Jesus Christ, his only Son, our Lord, who was conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, suffered under Pontius Pilate, was crucified, dead, and buried. He descended into hell. The third day he rose again from the dead. He ascended into heaven and sitteth on the right hand of God the Father Almighty. From thence he shall come to judge the living and the dead. I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Holy Catholic Church, the communion of saints, the forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of the body, and the life everlasting. Amen. come to lead us.
God blesses us. And now we're going to watch a few of our other blessings. Walk out with Corey and Lacey. Bunch of knuckleheads. How do I get out? Auntie M, Auntie M, let me out. Hey, y'all have a great time. You can compare notes with your parents. Because we'll be in the same text. Good morning, Miss R. Lee. How are you this morning, girl? You look great. She's sitting there. I can't believe that I had to be the last one out. And Pastor Rob spoke to me. What a joy. We are so blessed. And God gives us gifts. And what a blessing when we use those gifts. I sure can't sing like them. But God's given me gifts I have to use. I can't play drums like Monty can, but God gives you gifts that you are to use. I saw those yesterday afternoon as Lenore Prez folks fed people room at the table and took meals out to some of our homebound. And, and I see that as you all step up in so many different ways to serve. And, and, and different situations come. We faced COVID, but there's always something that will say to us, this is why you ought not to step out in faith. There's always something that will bring fears to our hearts. But God says always, my grace is sufficient. My power is made perfect in our weakness. Let us bow before God. Almighty Father, we thank you. We give you all praise in this moment. And Lord, in every moment, let us thank you for your power living in us. That power enables us, Lord, to step out where others don't. Throughout the centuries, Christians have been the ones who have run to the trouble to see what we can do for those who are beset. Lord, let us be those now here in this 21st century since you died for us. Lord, let us be those who go to the tough places, whatever they may be. There may be blood there, there may be sickness there, there may be mental anguish, there may be emotional turmoil, there may be lack of confidence that I can do anything. Um, I, I just may not feel good about who I am. Lord, let Christians come alongside each and every one in those moments. Lord, our ability to do that rests really in our understanding the enormity of what you have done. And that is, as we confess our sins, we are reminded that you have forgiven us. As I said to somebody just this week, you are a saint. You see the sin but God sees his saint. Let us rest in that. His burden is light. Let us carry that burden, that lightness, not what this world would pile upon us, not what we think we love, Lord, we love you and praise you. 
that's set free in your forgiveness, in your grace and mercy, Lord, that we can intercede in the lives of others. Now we're going to name names, but, but this week we're going to be the hands and feet going into these situations and doing what we can. Not worrying about what we can't do, but doing what you have blessed us and gifted us to do. So now we think, Lord, of names and situations. We pray for our neighbors gathering for worship, for Robin. Teresa, Annette and Leroy, Stephanie, oh Lord God, in a way that we can never do because we just see the lack of uniformity, but your spirit brings unity, unite our voices as we pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Will you turn with me either in the bulletin or it will be on the screen or perhaps you have your Bible with you this morning, but turn to God's holy word and our Father in heaven, we pray now in this moment that you would bless us as we read this, the truth, this which is life itself for us, that we, having eyes, would be able to see, having ears that we would choose in this moment to hear God's truth. We're reading uh, from Matthew, the 26th, and then briefly in the 27th verses. We're at Thursday night, Gethsemane. Then Jesus said to him, Put your sword back into its place, for all who take the sword will perish by the sword. Do you think that I cannot appeal to my father and he will at once send me more than 12 legions of angels? But how then should the scriptures be fulfilled that it must be so? At that hour, Jesus said to the crowds, Have you come out as against a robber with swords and clubs to capture me? Day after day I sat in the temple teaching and you did not seize me. But all this has taken place that the scriptures of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples left him and fled. Then those who had seized Jesus led him to Caiaphas, the high priest, where the scribes and the elders had gathered. And Peter was following him at a distance as far as the courtyard of the high priest. And going inside, he sat with, guards, with the guards to see the end. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking false testimony against Jesus that they might put him to death, but they found none, though many false witnesses came forward. At last two came forward and said, This man said, I am able to destroy the temple of God and to rebuild it in three days. And the high priest stood up and said to Jesus, Have you no answer to make? What is it that these men testify you 
testify against you. Or, or another way to translate that is, uh, what have you got to say to what they're saying? But Jesus remained silent. And the high priest said to him, I adjure you by the living God, tell us if you are the Christ, the Son of God. And Jesus said to him, you have said so. But I tell you from now on, you will see the Son of Man seated at the right hand of power and coming on the clouds of heaven. Then the high priest tore his robes and said, he has uttered blasphemy. What further witnesses do we need? You have now heard his blasphemy. What is your judgment? And they answered, he deserves death. Then they spit in his face and struck him, and some slapped him, saying, Prophesy to us, you Christ, who is it that struck you? And when morning came, all the chief priests and the elders of the people took counsel against Jesus to put him to death, and they bound him and led him away and delivered him over to Pilate, the governor. This is the word of the Lord. Praise be to God. Well, the title of the sermon, the title, the direction I want us to take our thoughts, uh, the Holy Spirit, I pray, to take our thoughts this morning is the right to remain silent. Young Timmy was sitting on Santa Claus's knee, and Santa Claus, as Santa Claus is supposed to do, was asking this young, maybe five, six-year-old boy, saying, Timmy, so this year, have you been naughty or nice? At which point, a man in a suit with a briefcase in one hand leaned over and whispered into young Timmy's ears, and Timmy nodded, and then he answered uh, Santa Claus. He said, my attorney has advised me not to answer any questions regarding my behavior of the past year. So I thought you could get just a very small chuckle, which was all that it deserved, out of a Christmas story here just before Easter. You have the right to remain silent. I plead the fifth. We hear the defendant standing there in the box. I plead the fifth claiming that protection that says we don't have to, uh, to, to bring anything forth that might self-incriminate. The Fifth Amendment to the U.S. Constitution states, nor shall be compelled in any criminal case to be a witness against himself. We cherish this privilege of American jurisprudence, don't we? But remaining silent can be incriminating in and of itself. The Fifth Amendment uh, uh, protects us from self-incrimination, but it does not mean that prosecutors can't use a, a defendant's silence as a sign and evidence of guilt. Clamming up often makes us look guiltier just in the very action. And so we consider, is there a right way? And indeed there is, the right way is speaking truth to God's glory. It's the, the right way in life. 
Now, Jesus, we see in this text, we see it elsewhere, but in this text, we definitely see that Jesus was an incredibly effective user of silence. Of course, he was totally innocent, uh, totally innocent, but as we have read this, uh, this whole Lenten season, but particularly now in this moment, Jesus was in an incredibly tight spot. And he could have defended himself, most people would have, being in the same spot. Most people, when falsely accused, will defend themselves. They'll speak up to defend themselves. But in the face of false testimony, Scripture tells us Jesus went silent. Now, also intriguing that we read here is that when Jesus should have remained silent, when most people would have closed their mouths and said nothing, Jesus actually spoke up, and in doing so, he actually confirmed the uh, accusations that were being brought against him. And this seems strange to us mortals, But this text, like all of God's word, is yet another example, another proof of why the good news is such incredibly great news to us. Jesus spoke only the truth in order to glorify the Father, not ever in order to defend himself. So here we are. In these dark hours between Thursday evening and Friday morning, these dark, dark hours, this last week of Jesus in Jerusalem, and we see the rightness of remaining silent. The rightness of remaining silent. You see, when Jesus was seized there in Gethsemane, we came in right in the middle of that part of the story. When Jesus was seized in Gethsemane, uh, Peter, always the good, loyal, loving disciple, he draws the sword, and and that could be a whole sermon of what were they doing with swords, but anyway, uh, another sermon, another time. But he draws his sword, he lashes out with it, probably going for a neck, misses, takes off an ear of one of the high servant's servants, and, and you could say that Peter in this moment, the last thing he was doing was remaining silent. Jesus commanded him, be done with the sword. So Peter, usually really, quite honestly, for all the things we say about Peter, usually obedient, he resheathes the sword. But we know what's going on inside. He is still seething with wanting to do something here to protect his Lord. And the other disciples, what about them? They had risen, uh, risen. they had raised their hands as Peter had also saying, hey, we'll stick with you, Lord. Yeah, whatever comes, we're with you and and we're going to be there. But when Jesus gave himself up to the mob, the disciples in that moment saw that following Jesus meant, to, to borrow words from Dr. Craig Keener, a commentator on this text, martyrdom without resistance. Martyrdom without resistance. Jesus gave himself up to the crowd. And when the disciples saw him do that, they disappeared into the shadows of the night. As scripture says, they fled. He was bishop of Constantinople 
in the fourth century, John Chrysostom uh, wrote, commenting on verse 56, these words, up until the time Jesus was seized, they remained, the disciples remained. But when Jesus had said these things to to the multitudes, they fled. For from then on, they could see that escape was no longer possible. And don't we know about ourselves that we want to escape? We want to get out with our skin. We want to get free. We want to be safe. It's our modus operandi. It's it's the thing that drives us in tricky situations. We want to be able to, to escape. That's what's so radical about this new way that Jesus shows to us, that he reveals glorifying God through self-service in service to others. I mean, self-sacrifice in service to others. This radical way, the right way to go, Jesus shows us, is glorifying God through self-sacrifice via service to other people. It was the rightness of Jesus remaining silent. He did not resort to the power of the sword, the ways of the world. He did not flee from the moment of truth, however. He faced it. He came face to face with it. He did, as we saw way back in the gospel accounts, when Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit and he faced the temptation of the devil, Jesus resisted the temptation to self-salvation, to taking care of self. Proverbs 17, 27 uh, reminds us of what our Lord showed us. Whoever restrains his words has knowledge, and he who has a cool spirit is a man of understanding. I'm going to pray for us, beloved, cool spirit, that we might be men and women of understanding that the world can see. Because listen, Jesus says it. In case, because it's a, it's a thing that we think, but Jesus says it. In, in the face of arrest in this moment, his life imperiled, Jesus could have appealed his case to the highest authority, the Father in heaven, who would have sent 72,000 angels, that's 12 legions, 6,000 in a legion, 72,000 angels who would have taken care of Jesus, his 12 disciples, and let Rome bring on whatever Rome wants to bring on. Because Jesus could have made that appeal. But he did not. That's because Jesus was, listen to this, this is, this is what's so beautiful. Jesus was not here to save himself. Jesus was here to save us. And that's the reason for the rightness of his remaining silent. There have been those through the centuries since who have modeled this behavior by remaining silent. They sacrificed their freedom or their lives even for others simply by remaining silent where if they had just spoken up and said something, they could have saved their own skin, but they would have brought ruination or or pain and agony to others. Jesus could have spoken up. We're talking way up. Heaven's up. But he chose not to. For you, for me. 
He chose the rightness of remaining silent for us, even as false testimony was born against him because Jesus knew his task. His task was not to defend himself. His task was not longevity in this world. His task was obedience to the call of God, which was go save my people. Now Jesus also, he understood the rightness of remaining silent, but he also knew the rightness of not remaining silent. Jesus knew when the correct time was to speak. And, and, and the correct time for Jesus to speak was always when his words would prove his life a testimony to the truth of Scripture and the fulfillment of Scripture. His whole life is that. When we read the Gospels and all the rest of the New Testament uh, writings that are given to us in the Bible, all of that is fulfillment to what we have been reading in the Old Testament. You know, verses 54 through 56 show us, we've just talked about it, that Jesus was unwilling to call upon his Father, come save me. But he was more than willing to state how his obedience in this moment would show that scriptural prophecies were being brought to fulfillment. One of them is Isaiah 53, 7. We know this well. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth like a lamb that is led to the slaughter and like a sheep that before its shears is silent, so he opened not his mouth. Look at Matthew 26, 67 and compare that to Isaiah, the 50th chapter, the 6th verse, I gave my back to those who strike and my cheeks to those who pull out the beard. I hid not my face from disgrace and spitting. And in all of this, in all of this, and this is why Caiaphas tore his robes and shouted, Blasphemer! In all of this, Jesus said, Yes, I am the Messiah. Yes, I am God. Jesus shows us the way to, here's where the rubber hits the road. He shows us the way to the rightness of our response. So how is it that we are to be right in our response? When should we remain silent and when should we speak up and out? The key for us is to always respond from the right-hand position. Lefties, don't despair. I'm not talking about our right hand. I am talking about that we should always choose to respond out of Christ's position at the right hand of God. The rightness of our response is possible be only in the righteousness of Christ. And when Christ ascended into heaven and he sat down at the right hand of the Father, his righteousness was once and forever established throughout history, that which has been true from before and is true in history and will be true after history, that Christ, God alone, is right righteous and holy, was established in that moment, and that is the right-hand position that we are to take. Jesus gives us the fifth point of the sermon here this morning. And it just worked out that way. You can call it a Holy Spirit move, but this just happens to be the fifth point of my sermon. So I would propose to all of us that if we're going to plead the fifth, 
that we should probably plead this fifth point here, that the rightness of our response is what matters. Not self-defense, but we are to give our lives as Christ gave his life, knowing when to be silent and when to speak up. Always operating out of Christ's right-hand position. Jesus didn't remain silent. He fulfilled Isaiah 62.1. For Zion's sake, I will not keep silent. And for Jerusalem's sake, I will not be quiet until her righteousness goes forth as brightness and her salvation as a burning torch. You see, Jesus spoke up and out to reveal his Father's righteous salvation of those that the Father has called. It was Zion, it was Jerusalem, but we are, we are the new Israel, completed, Jew and Gentile alike, not just Gentiles, we haven't taken over from the Jews, Jew and Gentile alike, in Christ, we are fulfilled, we are made complete and whole. And Jesus' life, his death, his resurrection, his perfect obedience at every step is the fulfillment of the promises of God's covenant laid out for us in the law and the prophet, the history of the Old Testament, and now fulfilled in the New Testament, which is the new covenant, which is Jesus Christ seated at the right hand. And we will see him at the right hand, and we will see him descending in the clouds and thus the rightness of our response is to let God's righteous holiness shine through us. God's salvation must, must beam through us or it won't beam at all. In the late 1800s, a young British preacher named G. Campbell Morgan faced a pretty tough test. Campbell Morgan had a call from the Lord, but he hoped to get into a program to get uh, much greater training in homiletics, the art of preaching. And in order to do that, he had to give a trial sermon. And so he and a whole bunch of other would-be preachers were gathered into a very large auditorium, and just a few people were there, the would-be preachers mainly, and those who would be listening and determining whether they came up to par, whether they passed muster and would get into this program. Um, cavernous auditorium, very few listening to them. And one by one, the, the would-be preachers came up and had to stand in the pulpit facing this small group of people listening judging them and how they did and and it was unnerving <laughs> this is pretty unnerving right here <laughs> and I know you are a pretty friendly crowd <laughs> but can you imagine being in that moment and it got to Morgan and and he faltered and when the judge's verdict was posted Morgan's name was among those who flunked that test Morgan sent a one-word telegram to his father, rejected. His father sent back a seven-word response, rejected on earth, stop, accepted in heaven, stop, dad. Rejected on earth, accepted in heaven, dad. 
In essence, what Morgan's dad was saying to him is, remember your calling. And remember the position of your calling. You're at the right hand already. And encouraged by that, Morgan did not lose sight of his calling. He knew that the rightness of his response, even to this failure, lay in Christ Jesus. Christ, the righteousness of God, living in Morgan. It's not like the righteousness of God is up there, beloved. The righteousness of God is already alive in you. If you have accepted Christ as your Lord and Savior. And Morgan understood that that righteousness was living in him. And he gave him the power to glorify God. You know, if you go home today and you Google the Prince of Bible Expositors. One of the very first names that will pop up is the name of G. Campbell Morgan. And the other two names that usually will pop up is Dr. Alexander McLaren and Charles Spurgeon. I mean, three of the greatest, truest expositors of God's word ever. Never underestimate what Proverbs 18.21 states. The tower of the tongue has the power of life and death. The tongue has the power of life and death. How will we show the rightness of our response? Will we let God's righteousness established at the right hand of the Father, will we let God's righteousness silence us or animate us so that we are used in service to others to bring life to them? To show that abundant life Christ came to give? Or will we speak in self-interest and self-defense and discover in that process that protecting our life inevitably denies life to somebody else? I think particularly in this day and time, When we're living in a world where everybody is saying, that's my right. That's my right. We need to remember that yes, we have the right to remain silent. But God calls us to live the rightness of responding as Christ did. What will it be, church? Almighty God, we ask that now in this moment, as we respond in words of praise to you, that you, Father, would already quicken in our hearts a deep desire to either remain silent or to speak out, act out according to the righteousness Christ has imputed to us. We love you. We give you all praise in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Let us stand and sing, Holy God, we praise your name, these two verses of this hymn.
The Lord keep you. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. Go in the name of Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Amen.